You're listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And this morning we're looking together at chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. You'll find this on page 573 of the Pew Bible. This is Isaiah chapter 9. And verses 6 and 7. Hear the word of God. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Thank you. I wish I could give one to each one of you, but there's only one here. Well, in the previous chapter, Isaiah predicted the coming of the Assyrian invasion. The disobedience of Israel and Judah would be dealt with severely. But as is so often the case, God mingles his rich mercy with his judgment. And in this chapter, Isaiah reveals God's merciful provision for his chosen people. He speaks of the Messiah and his victories and his dominion over all things. The prophet, of course, in doing so, is being carried along by the Holy Spirit of prophecy. And he sees on the horizon of history the coming of Christ in the latter time, as it says in verse 1 which is an idiom, if you know, that signifies what the New Testament authors often call the last days. For example, Hebrews 1, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And so Isaiah predicts the great light of Christ will shine on a people who sit in darkness. And this will be a great joy that will increase and multiply among true believers. In our passage for today, he holds forth the incomparable excellencies of Christ. Jesus is the great light. He is the promised Messiah and the incarnate Son of God. He is that child to be born and the Son to be given who will bring comfort to his people. And Isaiah points to this Christ and his kingdom, which will have no end. Isn't that incredible? 
The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be great. Forever and ever his righteous reign will increase in peace and joy. And this morning I would like us, you and I, to consider the four titles that Isaiah ascribed to our Lord Jesus. These are the greatest titles ever to be given to a human being, who is also God, by the way. And I believe one of the greatest needs in our day is for mankind to know Jesus Christ. Apart from him, there is no salvation, as we prayed. So our hope today is to increase in our knowledge and to deepen in our appreciation of this Lord Jesus Christ. One of the great benefits, according to the psalmist, is those who know his name put their trust in him. So first of all, we're told that he is the wonderful counselor endowed with all knowledge and insight. And thus, what a wonderful counselor he is. In fact, he outshines all the rest. The Bible says that David esteemed Ahithophel's counsel as if it was the very word of God. But Jesus is the word of God, the very wisdom of the Lord. And it says that the Father confers with him. And that is perhaps one of the most magnificent things about the Lord Jesus. In the beginning about creation, God consulted with the Son by whom all things are created. Throughout history, in his providence, God consults with Jesus, who upholds all things by the word of his power. And even from the depths of eternity, if you can even conceive of that, the Father and the Son consulted about our redemption. Indeed, he is the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. So this plan of redemption that we celebrate was established before the foundation of the world, and thus Jesus is Yahweh's counselor. He knows all that the Father is doing and has done. He was beside God like a master workman and was his daily, his delight. But you know something, not only is he a counselor to God, Jesus is also a counselor to men. His teacher, he's a teacher, he's a guide, he's a prophet. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He is a great counselor of salvation. And in this, he excels all other counselors. Do you remember how the officers at one point told the chief priests, no one ever spoke like this man? And it's no wonder the crowds were astonished at his teaching because here was one who spoke with authority. And every blind person that he ever healed was a living parable to the light that he brings to his people. All things are before him. Everything is open to him. Nothing at all perplexes him. And so how true it is that he's not just a counselor, but he is a wonderful counselor. The Bible says that Samson's father, Manoah, asked the name of the angel of the Lord, which was the pre-incarnate Christ. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? 
Everything about him is wonderful. His person, his character, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, it's wonderful. John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. He is both God and man, rest assured. He has two distinct natures in one person. And just think, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. And insofar as we heed his counsel, wonderful things are in store for us. The wise man says, blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me, says Christ, finds life. And I have to admit that our Lord's counsel is sweeter than honey, and it's more precious than gold. He does nothing less than breathe life into the humble, believing soul. <laughs> That's incredible. The truth is, when things seem to be complex and confusing, Jesus is right there to guide us. He tells us that he is infinitely wise to do what is truly best for each one. And so he invites you and I to place our situation in his hands and to trust him with it. I wonder if there's someone here who is right now quietly enduring a difficult or painful situation. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your paths straight. I think if I could paraphrase, it's simply this. Put your confidence in the wisdom and the insight and the goodness of Christ who knows everything. He's a wonderful counselor. But secondly, it tells us that he's also mighty God, which is an unabashed declaration of his deity. Isaiah agrees with John, who said the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the one to whom Thomas bowed and said, my Lord and my God, a faithful Jew telling a man that he's his God. And then later, Paul comes along and he says, from the Jews came Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. So whether or not you believe that to be true, clearly the Bible ascribes it to him. In fact, John says at the end of his first epistle, he is the true God and eternal life. And here we discover that Jesus possesses all the attributes of deity. He is infinite, he's eternal, he's immutable, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God equal with the Father who will not give his glory to another. So that tells me they're one. And note how Isaiah does not simply affirm deity, but he stresses his power. This child to be born and this child to be given who will reign over all is the mighty God. Earlier, Elder Gillenan read that story. When Jesus was in a boat with his disciples, there was this great windstorm that arose. I love this story. The waves were breaking into the boat, and they were at a point of sinking. 
And in a panic, they wake up Jesus from a sound sleep. And what does he do? He rebukes the wind and he says to the sea as if it's a little dog, peace, be still. And a great calm ensued. And the disciples said to one another, who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. He's all-powerful, and he far surpasses the world's greatest heroes in might. He is the valiant one and the mighty God who fights for his people, and thus he not only applies infinite wisdom for us as a counselor, but he exercises unlimited power for us as God. He says, and I quote Revelation 1, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And yet the world doesn't see it. It can't recognize it. It refuses to submit to it. In their eyes, he has no form, no majesty, no beauty to distinguish him from anybody else. And just as the blind can't see the brilliance of the sun, sadly, the unbeliever cannot see the glory of Christ. But to those whose eyes are open, they rejoice to see his majesty. And I wonder this morning if there's someone here or listening to my voice who has yet to see him or to recognize him or to rejoice in him. Know that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. You know something, the Israelite monarchy was an historical illustration of the need for a divine king. It showed us that no mere human is sufficient for the problems of this world, didn't it? They're too much for mankind. Indeed, mankind is the problem. We need a king who is able to provide a remedy for sin and misery and hell. And Jesus is such a king. He's the mighty God who did works that no one else did or could ever do. In life, he fulfilled all the requirements of the law, which is a duty nobody else could fulfill. And in death, he satisfied all the demands of justice, which is a debt that nobody else could pay. And in his resurrection, he triumphed over the grave, which is a victory that nobody else could win. And of course, in his ascension, he opened up the way to eternal life which is a feat that nobody else could accomplish. The psalmist says, who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And as our divine king, he's able to order all things to his glory and for our good. I hope you believe that. Nothing is impossible for Jesus. And that includes your situation and mine. He can see you through. He can raise you up. He can guide your steps. But then third, he is the everlasting father who as the second Adam triumphed where the first Adam failed. He's a wonderful counselor to guide us. He is a mighty God to deliver us and he's an everlasting father to love us. 
And as the head of the church, he is the spiritual father to all who believe. Isaiah says, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. That's what we're called, his offspring. And what this means is that he is our father, both covenantally and spiritually. From the depths of eternity. And again, I don't know what that means. I can't even conceive of eternity, but I know the word. From the depths of eternity, in love, he willingly chose to love and represent us. And so with everlasting affection, he determined to grant each one of us new birth. And so as believers, we're his offspring. We're his children in a peculiar relationship. We're members of his family. We bear his name. We share in his inheritance. That's staggering. As children resemble parents, so we bear the renewed image of Christ. And walking with him daily brings us into closer conformity to his holiness. And so his relation to us and his love for us is eternal. After all, he's an everlasting father. And this begs the question, doesn't it? Is Christ your father in this very special way? You know, each one of us is either a child of Christ or a son of Adam. Those are the only two options. Adam's children are born to die and they have no hope beyond the grave. But the children of Christ are redeemed to live eternally in unspeakable joy. And he offers this salvation to anybody who will come to him in faith. Anybody. Makes no difference who you are. Makes no difference what you've done. It's a standing offer. Receive and rest upon Jesus Christ and you'll live forever. And I wonder if there is someone listening to this fresh and is willing to accept the offer. And if that's true, I implore you to do so. But then fourth and finally, We're told that he is also the Prince of Peace who reconciles us to God and who soothes the conscience. So he is a wonderful counselor to guide and he is a mighty God to deliver and he is an everlasting father to love and a Prince of Peace to bless. It was in this way, I believe, that old King Solomon foreshadowed his greater descendant. Under Solomon's reign, we're told that the people of God experienced a season of great peace. It says in 1 Kings 4, Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba. Every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. Never before, never after did the world see such a kingdom in its court. And the Jews at that point dwelt in safety and prosperity with both confidence and assurance. And yet, not even Solomon, with all of his prosperity, could give true inward peace. Outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is impossible to enjoy genuine lasting peace. 
The unbeliever can find no peace with God, no peace in the soul, no peace at death or for eternity. It says in Isaiah 57, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. None. It is only in Christ, the Prince of Peace, that we can experience the grace of God and true shalom. Because as Paul teaches in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. There is no sin so bad that it's too much for his blood to cleanse. And there is no neglect of duty so heinous for which his blood cannot atone. Paul says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that tremendous? Nowhere else can you find such a promise. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a message of peace to anybody with a burdened conscience. The angel said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. Old righteous Simeon, I love his story. He gazed at the baby Jesus. And what did he say? I'm ready to depart in peace. The Lord Jesus is himself our peace. And his kingdom is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's king. And as Psalm 72 tells us, in his day the righteous flourish and peace abounds. And perhaps you find yourself this morning in deep distress or fierce turmoil. I don't know what the situation is, but you seem not able to find peace. I want you to hear the Apostle Paul's benediction pronounced so many centuries ago. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. So there you have it. Isaiah's description of the promised, long-awaited Messiah, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And remember, this was announced during the darkest days of the northern exile. The Assyrians had invaded their land, had exiled the Jews, had colonized the region. All the northern tribes were in a state of deep distress and humiliation. And when everything was dark and dismal and foreboding, God answers with this. He promised a king with not only special qualities, but a divine nature. And this king is able to meet the needs of his people and to defeat the power of his enemies. And as you and I both know, it refers to Jesus Christ, the one who was born on Christmas Day. We sing of him and we worship him. We pray to him and we adore him. And in our darkest moments, he is near and he's able to bind up the brokenhearted. Light dawns in the darkness, we're told, for the upright. So in the midst of any difficulty, he is able and willing to help you, to sustain you, and to strengthen you. 
And so with titles like these, isn't he worthy of praise and adoration? He really is what these designations convey. God gives no empty titles. So let's consult his counsel and let's admire his power. Let's rejoice in his love and let's experience his peace. It's a privilege and a pleasure to celebrate his incarnation, isn't it? How abundantly fitting is it at any time to commemorate his birth? He fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy, and even now he reigns in heaven. So let's celebrate the incarnation of Christ, remembering that it's more than just a holiday. It's an opportunity to rejoice in him and to be glad for the all-sufficient Jesus Christ, who can cleanse you from every sin. It reminds me of that hymn written by Philip Bliss, part of which goes like this. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. When He comes, our glorious King, all His ransomed home to bring, then anew His song we'll sing. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And yet, as we close, let me just say, with all his lofty titles, you might think that he's far too important to concern himself with you. Yes, he upholds the universe by his power. Why would he be interested in me? My friend, you don't know what you're thinking. He is both God and man, after all. He's wonderful, he's mighty, he's everlasting, and he's a prince who is infinite in being. An infinite being has no limits and no boundaries. Nothing is impossible for him. And therefore, he's able to care for you as if you were the only person in this world. After all, he's everywhere present. He says, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, every one of them. He knows every one of us intimately and personally, each one of us by name. He can search the heart of every creature. He knows the details of each life. And if he concerns himself with sparrows, he is especially concerned with you. Because he's infinitely bigger than this universe. And he cares for each one of us. And scripture teaches, and I believe it's true, that your name and mine has been engraved upon his palms. So as we anticipate celebrating his birth, let's keep Christ at the forefront. Let's appreciate the incarnation, seeing with fresh eyes him who is described by these titles. In heaven, he's constantly adored, and we pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's adore him. For to us this child was born, and to us this son was given. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.